You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we always work on Labor Day. I'm your host. Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Joining me this trip from, I believe, Austria this time, although he was just talking about being in uh, the, the Czech Republic. So it's very confusing where, sort of like, where's Waldo? Where is William in Eastern Europe? But he still is identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege and be able to morally identify as a Emmy nominee because, you know, people... Emmy winner. Pardon me. Emmy check, winner. Sorry. Check that privilege. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. I have a, Emmy I have a brand new... Yeah. Now say hello, hello, William. Hello, hello. Well, you were going to say my name, but yes, well, you stepped Emmy all winner, over it. Where's the way way I to step know. on it, William? Drop. I don't know. We don't have that one. All we have is all we have is the the good one. We don't have that one. Uh, yeah, Emmy winner. Uh, it's very exciting. Arcane won an Emmy, and uh, I did worked had very 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 small part in it, but uh, it's uh, my name's definitely in the credits. So uh, yeah, I think I think we can add that to the list of privileges that uh, I need to check. Um, but uh, uh, very exciting. Yeah, I was in uh, Bratislava today, just walking around at the little town about a couple hours uh, east of Vienna. And uh, can I have some? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a bunch of uh, bunch of castle in a really old uh, town and walking around with lots of shops and good meats. And uh, there was like a little festival going on. So it was, uh, it was fun. I got a little taste of uh, old Europe. And uh, but I will be traveling back to the land of freedom uh, just in time for the power to go out, I hear. But we'll get into that uh, later in the show, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different thing. All I have to say is if you're in a town named Bratislava, better have good meat. All right, I think uh, your silence means you're ready to uh, move on here. So uh, there was a lot of farce this week. You already foreshadowed some of it, and there was... Uh, some more coming out of the state of California, as well as uh, the rest of the country. Uh, let's get into that in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. But not foot rubs. Wait, what? (laughs) That was really, that was a really inside joke right there. Really inside joke. 
<laughs> oh, man. I think William got it. Uh, something else that may have been a really, really inside joke that most of the country didn't get is the State of the Union address. And, William, you're not in the country, and uh, I don't know if you watched it or not. I didn't watch it, but I saw the reaction to it. And I don't want to go too long into this because it's more like the visuals of it. I think I only saw the memes. Like, I I didn't even know that he was giving some sort of presidential address until I saw the memes. And that's the thing. Like, when we look at the memes, first of all, it's hard to tell which memes have been altered in post, right? But there are some videos going around, like 30-second clips from the actual speech, which hopefully those haven't visually been altered. But when you look at it, William, Joe Biden is framed in a way... That's very interesting. And the color scheme, most of all, is very interesting. The color scheme is red, and it's a tone of red that's very ominous. And what yeah, I have to yeah. ask you, William, is, is are they intentionally trying to play off the dark Brandon memes here? Is that what's going on? I, like I don't know. I, I, I wonder if this was produced by Bad Robot. Um and and this is just a Star Wars, you know, clip that they're, you know, how like, you know, they sometimes will do movies and they'll have the, you know, the president, like clips of the president that they'll kind of shoehorn into a movie, you know? Yeah. And it'll be the real actual president of the time. Was this like some like shooting thing that they were doing for some upcoming, uh, you know, bad reboot uh, movie that I'm not, that we haven't done a trailer takedown on yet? I, I would believe it, it, it. It looks like it looks like Star Wars though, at the same time, doesn't it? I mean, if those weren't Marines, right. if I replaced those silhouettes of the Marines in the background with uh, stormtroopers, would it? Would you not one hundred percent believe this was Star Wars? Right, right. And you know, there's a couple interesting implications to to what you just said. One, I think the most obvious sort of question I would have about what you just said is: Are we now unable to distinguish? the rest of life from entertainment because we're so uh, steeped in social media and streaming that it all has to look the same. Well, everything is political. So therefore if our, all art is just political propaganda, then all political propaganda must draw on art. Right. Or must be the same thing. So there is I, the I same, like the yeah, same communication. Medium. Yeah. Right. So I I like the way you just drew that uh, drew that comparison, and then I guess that sort of was the other concern I was going to raise. You just kind of summed it all up there. So I don't really know if there's anything else to say about this thing. So do you want to just hit that point one more time because it was so succinct? Well, if all if all things are political, so if all our movies are political propaganda, then all of our political stuff will borrow from art. We'll borrow from those visual uh, that visual language, or. You know, just to put a finer point on it, like you just did so wonderfully, uh, it's just there's no difference between them anymore. So right, it's, it's all the same of, propaganda. Yeah, right, it's all the same platform. It's just a different mode of presenting it, and it's just a different form. You know, it used to be function mattered. Now it's all just a different form you put it in. The function's all the same. Yeah, the only thing I can I can know for certain, which I already knew for certain, but now we just know it like a hundred percent. Uh, is that um, Joe Biden does not know what his Twitter uh, account person is tweeting about because uh, in 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 on Twitter he said you know all Trump supporters are a problem 
or sorry, and the speech he said all Trump supporters are uh, are a threat to democracy. Then his Twitter said said no, and then vice versa, and that they just can't they that they can't say the same thing. And but this is part of the politics of what we have now, which is you say you only say what the audience wants to hear, and and who cares if what you're saying conflicts between the audiences? Um, that that that's uh, that conflict is uh, you just ignore it. Yeah, well, because truth is relative to the context. It's there's not any objective truth. Yeah, so yeah. you can just say yeah. what you need to. You say you don't say your truth. You say the audience is uh, what they want to hear. Truth, and I'm putting truth in scare quotes there. Right, and I think the point you made about Twitter. Now, this is a different thing, so we're kind of transitioning a little bit here away from the State of Union. But what you said about Twitter—that's that's something uh, one of my friends pointed out to me this week. He was sharing all the different tweets that were very obviously not written by Biden. I think the 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 voice on Twitter from what I on Biden's Twitter from what I've seen comes across as a very sort of social justice feminist uh female perspective. I think that's who's tweeting at that account. Oh, but interesting. The the fact that somebody else is even tweeting from that account, how does history record that? I mean, I guess it's conceivable back in the day William that like John Adams' letters could have been written by Abigail Adams, and we never would have known she was catfishing as John Adams. You know what I mean? All those letters that, like, Dr. Yeah. Thompson has studied. That's Well, but wasn't that the I big critique? That, that was the big critique of, uh, uh, of Trump, though, is that he was uh, being uncensored, unfiltered, right, on Twitter. He was just tweeting. It was him tweeting on the toilet, right? That was the, that was the, that's what angered them. So, in a way, uh, this, is what, this is what the Democrats want, right? They want... Uh, this is the, the, it, it shouldn't even be his Twitter account. It should be his press secretary's Twitter account, right? Like, like, like why are we we're we're doing something that Twitter would normally not allow you to do, right? right. Which is you're 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 not supposed to pretend to be someone you're not. There right. was no doubt that the person tweeting as President Trump was President Trump, right? But or somebody recording like, President Trump's yeah. Thoughts. But this I'm a hundred percent sure this is has nothing to do with Biden, right? The right. Biden Trump uh, president. Uh, Biden account has nothing to do with Biden. Right. And you perfectly built on the point I was making is that how does history even look back on that? Because unless it comes out that it is and it's confirmed, right? Because it's not confirmed right now. And unless that is confirmed and the identity is revealed, there this will be one of those things in history where people will be like, well, was it really Biden or was it not? I mean, maybe it's his wife. We don't know. Right. It could be anyone. And I think that's sort of what you just said is, is, is it makes it very interesting because why can't we just be honest? Why can't we just be honest and say, oh, this is his press secretary or this is his wife? Why do we have to call it Joe Biden? Yeah, I don't know. We have to hide the truth, I guess. I mean, there's a whole number of issues with that, but not with your statement with why. But I don't really want to go into them right now because that doesn't interest me as much. It was just sort of a good little aside there from uh, the State of the Union and the dishonesty of it. Right. Because what it all really comes down to, William, is power. And I'm Mm -hmm. using that as a pun, because if we've ever wanted to see a leftist state enact its power on power, it's the state of California, 
So, so much has been coming out about electric power, about California over the past week. You forwarded me something, right? And it makes me really, really glad I moved. So one of the uh, utilities there is Southern California Edison. And they Famous for email. starting the, the wildfires a couple years back. Famous for starting yes. the wildfires a couple years back. I remember that. Didn't they? Uh, was that the one that the, um, the flare was poorly like maintained? No, oh, that, well, right. that was part of it. But it was, this was the poorly maintained power lines overheated oh, and then caught yeah. fire and, you know, killed a ton of people and caused a lot of damage and blah, blah, blah. Right. So this email is about conserving power over Labor Day weekend. So I'm going to read this email. This is the one you forwarded me, right? This is your utility company, correct? Your electric yes, company? Yes, this was sent to to me, uh, both to my business and to my uh, residential address. Dear valued customer, William Green. It doesn't say William Green, but that's implied. This Labor Day weekend, help maintain power for everyone. I'm going to stop there for a second. William, do you like how they're already leading with a collectivist? Yeah, thing? yeah. Comrades, save power for the state. All right. It's not a, you know, save, make sure you have power in the long run, or if you do this, you won't have any power. It's help maintain power for everyone. Okay, continuing. With excessive heat in the forecast across much of the state and the Western United States expected to continue into next week, your energy conservation is needed. And again, William, to pause here, it's needed. It's needed. So on one hand, this is showing the moral approach they're taking. But on the other hand, it's saying that they don't really have the power they say they do, right? Because it's needed, not that it's required. But we're also kind of one step away from the required, which is kind of scary. Continuing. Especially Sunday, September 4th through Tuesday, September 6th from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Energy conservation helps reduce strain on the electrical grid. Easy ways to conserve power include adjusting your air conditioner to at least 78 degrees and turning off appliances when they're not being used. Which, by the way, I never Jack, understood that, William. Who just fucking leaves appliances on when they're not being I, used? Is I that something know. you do? Do you leave your microwave on constantly? Your electric kettle just on with nothing in it, like constantly? I don't understand that either. Uh, but just I've never understood I have a, that. I have, I, have a, I have a question. Uh when would you use i know you lived in in, in orange county but uh, imagine you, you yeah. lived in torrance for a little while too when yeah. would i ever when would the air condition ever turn on if i set it to 78 degrees maybe three days yeah. four days out of the year yeah it would I mean, never turn on now because i live in florida and i'm like well it's always on right <laughs> yeah yeah but, but think like, of if know, i set like, the thermostat to 78 degrees in in yeah. dale's lawn uh, it would never come on never Right. Well, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're subversively trying to get you to not use electricity, right? I mean, look at all these yeah. things. Basically, unplug your appliances. Don't turn your air conditioning on, right? So don't use power. Don't exist. Is it any yeah, wonder people this, are getting the message to leave? <laughs> yeah, let's put this in context. Uh, imagine Apple coming out and, and saying, um, uh, folks, uh, don't buy the new iPhone uh, we, 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 you know, we want to conserve the number of iPhones that are out there. Uh, so from, for the next four days, we're encouraging you not to buy any iPhones. Right. It would so say that way everyone would say, can have iPhones. Yeah. Right. A step forward from that would be, um, more precisely, 
we need to conserve the resources it uses to create iPhones. So help us yeah. cut back on the production of iPhones by not buying any and keeping the stock that we have in stock. Yeah, yeah. Their whole job, their whole reason for existence is to give me electricity, not to tell me not to use it. Well, they're putting it on you. They're saying you're the problem because here, look, here are the additional ways you can prepare, William. Are you ready? Oh, baby. I've got to prepare because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly back on Tuesday, so I better be prepared for this. Pre-cool your home by lowering your air conditioning thermostats before 4 p.m. Also, okay. with that one, isn't the time when it's hottest during the day because the sun is out? Uh, yes, and I will tell you from living, because I live closer to the beach, uh, uh, and the hottest time is right around sunset and after sunset. That's when the house gets the hottest because the breeze stops. And so then all the heat from the building and the, uh, you know, the, the cement and everything, that, that's still radiating and there's no wind to take it away. So the house actually gets hotter, uh, ironically, as the sun sets, right? Because there's no more wind like blowing around, you know, there's that, that ocean breeze has sort of stopped. So uh, that's when the air conditioner would be needed the most. So I could turn the air conditioner on during the day and yeah, it'd be hot. It's hot during the day. Uh, but I don't know how much pre-cooling I can do when the uh, actual house has physically been soaking up the sun all day. All right, I'm going to skip the next one because it leads into the next part of California that we're going to talk about here. And I'm yep. going to read the other three. Charge mobile devices and laptops before 4 p.m. <laughs> well, how, do you know how little power that takes? It's like, what, 65 watts is your charger, right? Like for, for a big laptop. That's a big laptop charger. But don't charge your phone. Oh, my God. Well, that's that's what I was going to ask you. I'm glad you said that because it's really this that everyone charging their phones is really that much of a suck on the energy grid. It can't possibly be when compared to air conditioning. Like we're we're not even we're like Prado distribution, like not orders of magnitude cannot be on the same level as air conditioning. Okay, so I'm not even gonna read the rest then because I think you just hit on the key point here. Right. The next one's just about like running your your dishwasher and washing machine at a certain time, right? Which again, is that really killing the energy grid? And I think what you just said is what it is, William. You know, my dad has talked about it before, you know, because he went to the University of Miami and he talked about how you couldn't live in Florida without air conditioning. And, you know, California, Nevada, Arizona, you couldn't live in these places without air conditioning. Texas, I'm sure, is the same way. And I think we've mentioned this before on the show. Isn't this what they're eventually going after? Isn't this the first kind of step towards saying air conditioning is the problem? We all need to stop having air conditioning. Yeah, I think I think that's probably it. Uh, I I we can't because it it there's nothing that's more solidly like in your face it, every day if you actually stop and think about it that energy controls makes climate climate livable for humans than the fact that you have eating and air conditioning, right? There's right. nothing. There's no that 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 fact can you can evade it. You can close your eyes to it, but 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 when you literally have an air conditioner that is keeping you safe and comfortable making a unlivable hostile climate a actual livable climate for you then you know once you get rid of that then then that 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 reminder that reality is not there anymore and then more evasion can be taken that can can take place you know 
Right. And I think if you're consistent with the environmentalist ideology, wouldn't it have to be they would have to get rid of air conditioning and heating and, you yeah. know, go back towards, you know, fires as a way of keeping things warm as a way to say, oh, humans are unnaturally harming the environment. And this is a major example of it because they've created a lifestyle, as you just pointed out, that wouldn't be possible without these artificial means. Right. Well, and, and similar to that is the last one I didn't want to read. Charge electric vehicles before 4 p.m. or after 9 p.m. First of all, William, what the fuck is going on between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. in Los Angeles County? Isn't everyone just on the highway? Like, what is going on in people's houses? They're all in traffic. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know why, but that's generally considered the peak time because your your offices and your factories and all the air conditioning is all going peak during that time. And I guess presumably oh, the idea was, oh, the kids are off of school and, right. you know, all that stuff. People are getting ready to come home. So they want the house to be nice when they get home. So they have the kids exactly. do it when they get home. Yeah. So aren't you just pushing that all back an hour if you're saying do it before 4 p.m.? Yeah, but then presumably the factories and the businesses are drawing less power in the evening. The industrial uses go down at night. Presumably. I mean, that's why what we if have we all peak, just peak, lived peak in the factory. Cost. Well, what if what if they use the pricing mechanism to deal with this rather than <laughs> uh, telling us uh, all this bullshit? Right. Like, I already know, like, I already on I'm, I'm on time of use plan. Right. Because I do have an electric vehicle. So I know not to charge my car between four and nine unless like I want to pay. Like, I think it's like 26 or 32 cents in the summertime, a kilowatt hour versus like I think it's normally like. I don't know, 12 or 16 cents. It's, it's normally much less. So, uh, so as long as I don't do it four to nine or whatever, uh, Monday through Friday, then it's fine. Yeah. I mean, the pricing mechanism is a great point. I was saying the comrade or the business thing, because I was thinking like a comrade, right? Just, just live it, live at the, the factory for the, the sake of the state. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But what what you're pointing out, though, is why I wanted to save the electrical vehicle thing for last. It came out this week because I don't believe we talked about this last week. But correct me if last episode we talked about this, that California is banning all non-electric vehicles starting in the year 2035. That came out this week, right? Yep. So let me uh, I want to posit a question for you. Because they're right. already, they already are having problems with the electrical grid. And then they're saying, oh, you can only earn, uh, own things that are powered by the electrical grid. And who owns the electrical grid, William? The state of California. Through so its the government, uh, well-regulated, you know how some states have well-regulated militias? We have well-regulated, I'm putting that in scare quotes, uh, <laughs> utilities. You have the well part in scare quotes, not the regulated. Yeah, that's right. So let me posit this for you, right? And I want to know your answer to this question. If the electrical grid is owned by the government and the government tells you that you can only use something that's powered by the electrical grid, then what does that say they want you to be dependent on? Um, Jeebus? The government! 
This is intentional. It has to be intentional, right? It is. There's no... Then, Justin, if we started today and there was no environmental protests or regulatory burdens in the way, and we started today trying to construct the additional generation capacity it would need in California to replace all passenger vehicles, we would not be able to do it. And that's just the generation capacity. That's just the the nuclear power plants and, and natural gas turbines and coal-fired plants that would have to be built to support all electric fleet. That says nothing about all the additional power lines that need, would need to be run, right? That it says nothing about that. If we started so, today, we couldn't make that deadline. Uh, makes complete sense. I don't have any disagreement with you. So it makes me want to ask you a question. Do you think that that deadline is actually going to be met? Or do you think that that's just a, we're going to put a deadline so we can start the conversation and get people used to this eventually? I think that it's a rope-a-dope um, classical Democrat move. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, not a Republican, not a Democrat, just to remind everyone. And that way the Republicans can fight on pushing back the deadline versus just reversing the actual stance, right? They've moved the goal. They made it so that the, the fight will be over where to place the goalpost, not the fact that we shouldn't be playing this retarded game. Right. So they've by like I was that was the first option I gave by making it seem like this will happen at some point. They're going to get the right to concede the point that yep. we should give people choice. Right. Right. So now that we, we, there will be no one arguing to remove uh, this regulation, i.e. to bring freedom to the market. There will be nobody arguing that. They'll all be arguing about uh, pushing back the date. Well, you said freedom to the market, right? And we're talking about government setting the standards for things. The California House, right, or the state legislator, as they call it, passed a bill doing exactly what you were just talking about, and it's about fast food. So... I'm going to read some quotes here from an article um, uh, from the Wall Street Journal. California's legislator passed a bill Monday to create a government panel that would set wages for an estimated half million fast food workers in the state. A first in the U.S. approach to workplace regulation that labor union backers hope will spread nationally. The bill, known as the FAST Act, would establish a panel with members appointed by the governor and legislative leaders composed of workers, union representatives, employers, and business advocates. They would set hourly wages of up to $22 for fast food workers starting next year, and it can increase them annually by the same rate as the consumer price index up to a maximum of 3.5%. Now, before we go into more of this, William... I just want to get ahead of something that listeners of the show may say or think of, because I think it's too obvious at this point. This would be one of those where people will often go, oh, well, Ayn Rand saw this coming, right? And it's like right out of Atlas Shrugged. And you could say that, you know, because we're talking about like, what is the uh, the directive? Directive 10289? 10-, 10-, 10- yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, William, it's not that Ayn Rand saw this coming, It's not that she made something up and she was forecasting into the future. This is literally communism. This is literally something that you would see in the USSR back in the day. Am I wrong? Nope. You are 100% correct. Yeah, get that drop. 
William, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct. That's the only one I have. No, that's backwards. It's backwards. Oh, wait. I want to start getting some Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a genius. Also backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that one yet. But the but when we're talking about backwards, the University of California Riverside School of Business points out how this is backwards. They had a study. <laughs> you like that? Transition? You said that without laughing. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, you said that without laughing. Well, you only laugh because you laughed. You sabotaged me. Uh, commissioned by the Franchise Association. Do you like how they throw that in there? The Franchisee Association. You don't need to have anybody fund this, right? This is common sense. They found that setting minimum wages between $22 and $43, imagine being paid $43 an hour to work at McDonald's. Holy shit. Would generate a 60% increase in labor costs and raise fast food prices by about 20%. Now, William. How many cheeseburgers per second do you have to make to earn $46 an hour? Because remember, you have to flip this around. People, you know, that's the, that's the, uh, we talked about moving the goalposts, right? Like redefining the playing field. Like I, I, I cannot look at this any other way other than how do I, how do I make enough productive work that someone is, can do in order to earn this salary? That's what this comes down to, right? Like how do I make enough productive work for them to do to earn this salary? They're going to have to be fucking hamburger geniuses, right? If they're working at McDonald's. So you're looking at it, obviously, as a franchisee, right, of... Um, yeah. I always... Fr- Jimmy John's, right? That's the one? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I always get them mixed up. What? Which one is it? Jersey Mike's. Jersey... I always... Dude, I don't know what it is in my brain. I think it's because they both start with J, but my brain always <laughs> confuses J. Even remember when you first did it, wasn't I getting that confused too? Yeah. I always do. I don't know what it is. Jimmy John's, Jersey Mike's. I can't keep them straight. Um, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. But yeah, so you're you're talking from that perspective as a franchisee. I am not a genius. All right, that was accurate that time. <laughs> I, can't, I can't argue with it that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as a franchisee of uh, Jersey Mike's, right, you're looking at that from that perspective. But let's look at it from the consumer's perspective. Yeah. Okay. William, what does one of your subs cost at Jersey Mike's? A six-inch sub, tell me. Uh, it's a regular sub because uh, a little more than six inches. Uh, okay. I would say... That's what, I, by the uh, way, yeah. that's, that's what he said. Well, I will, I'll tell you this. If you get a giant, it's over, it's over 12 bucks now for a giant, which is a big deal. We, I remember when, when, we, when we, were, we were... Over 12 is a giant, ringing, that's what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah. We were wringing our hands when we crossed $10 for a giant wow. because it was like, that was a big deal. Okay. So 20% of 12 is what? Uh, that's $2. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's going to raise the prices to $14 and 40 cents. Yeah. For a a, a a giant sub, yeah, and I can tell you other things it will it will do to distort the market too because it's already happened I and mean, we've talked about this before on the show. Um, I can't cut anyone any slack 
If you're late one time in your first 90 days, you're fired for any reason. I can't cut you any slack, right? Because, because your, your salary is so high that if you miss some training hours, those hours are just gone. And that's they, a lot of money. They have an answer to that. That you're though. taking it from other people. Yeah. They have an answer to that, though. Next, next sort of quote from the article. California lawmakers first floated the bill last year with proponents arguing that tighter regulations were needed to protect fast food workers. So what are they going to do, William? Use this new council or whatever they've created to regulate you even further. And then here's the best part, because none of this would be any good without any social justice. These fast food workers who need to be protected are overwhelming black or Latino and who say they experience unpaid overtime and other labor violations. So this is hold only on. happening because hold you're on, corrupt. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Do you know how fast I would be sued out of fucking existence if I yeah. did any sort of overtime violation or that in California, we have this policy called meal period violation. A ton of restaurants got sued for that. Not because they were not providing time for meals or not compensating people who were missing meals, but because their paperwork wasn't correct, tracking the meal period violations properly. And I, I have had to, I've had to demote and terminate supervisors who did not manage the paperwork having to do with meal period violations properly because they didn't take it seriously. Like there is no, find me a chain. Now I, I can maybe see some mom and pop shop, right? Like not doing this, but find me a single chain restaurant that's doing this consistently and, and give me a month and they will be sued. There's no way. There's no way people are doing this in California. Yeah. But this is all just rhetoric designed to grow the power of the state because uh, a couple more things before we get to the response part of this article, uh, next little excerpt here speaks to what you're saying, William. Uh, Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher, which, by the way, Gonzalez Fletcher, like two names that don't go together, right? A former Democratic legislator who introduced the bill when she was in the assembly said it moves California closer to a labor model used in Europe where unions negotiate wages and work <laughs> conditions. That's a bad enough on its own, right? Here's the worst yeah. part. In an entire sector, rather than company by company. So imagine, rather than, and I'm not even going to, well, actually I can because I confuse the two of them anyway, so it's kind of funny. Imagine just like sub-workers, I'll call them, you know, people, we'll call them sandwich artists because of Subway, okay? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Sandwich artists go to the state board and negotiate, and that applies to Jimmy John's and Jersey Mike's equally because Justin can't keep them straight anyway. Justin, it's even worse because it's all restaurants. Or imagine, so imagine, imagine the shittiest retail service workers you go get. Yeah. from Target. Well, imagine the shitty- and make a negotiation, <laughs> and then that applies to Walmart. Yeah, yeah. At that well, point, imagine aren't they the, the shitty- same company? Yeah, yeah. We're they're basically the same company at that point, but it's even worse than that, Justin. Imagine the worst customer service person you've ever had at a fast food joint, like, you know, like Taco Bell, like, or, or some terrible McDonald's employee, that person is going to be the same, pay the same as my well-trained and very courteous staff that gets five-star reviews all over, all over the place. Like it's not fair to the people who are working hard and you know who else is not fair to? There's a whole class of people that are employed in the industry 
at part-time that are not the most productive people in the world, but they get a, they get a tremendous value out of working. They get obviously the money from working, but also the engagement of working productively that guess what, Justin, they can't be employed at $22 an hour or $27 an hour, or $30 an hour. They, they aren't that productive at work. And I don't want to get into any details, but like, you know, there, there are people who are too socially awkward or too, you know, not mentally fit for certain jobs that would, would pay that high. They, they can't be productively put to work in our current, you know, well, I guess we'll wait 10 years and then, or, or, or 10 months, sorry, not 10 years, 10 months, and then inflation will, will make it so that we're all, uh, 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 worth making $30 an hour, but that's not the, the way, that's not the way things work, right? You're artificially like putting these barriers in so that folks that are, uh, you know, that not as productive for various reasons, not under their control, just can't even work anymore. Is that, is that the world we want to live in? Well, these are the unattended side, of, uh, these are the unintended side effects that always happen when these things that quote unquote sound good in theory are put into practice. Right. And I mean, this sort of goes towards uh, the response from both uh, business owners and the right on this. And, and before we get to that, they passed something as part of this that's very similar to what you were saying about the 2035 for the electric vehicles. The recent amendments to this bill call for the council to shut down in 2028 unless it is renewed, though inflation adjusted wage increases for workers would continue. So that's exactly the point you were just making, William, right? They're always going to keep automatically adjusting due to inflation. And you could see that law being put into uh, place for everyone. The idea that, oh, oh whenever inflation increases, you have to raise the wages for your, your company based upon for your workers based upon whatever the government decree, decrees the inflation. Yeah, but rate. the problem with inflation as defined by the government is they use the CPI, which means they get to pick the basket of goods that they use as the as the uh, marker, and they constantly change the basket of goods. So it's not even a thing. Like the way they measure inflation is not even a thing. It's just a made-up right. number so that the government the, controls. Right. Which all of this goes back to what we were saying. If the government controls the power grid and says you can only use things that – work off of the power grid well it's all about their yeah, power yeah. Well, and that's the same thing here yeah well just another question makes william yes i have a question for you real quick uh is this only is all this happening because it's taken how long now for starbucks for for uh the union to try to get uh to force starbucks employees to be unionized notice how i, I phrase that i phrase that deliberately it's it, and We've seen tons of efforts to try to get fast food workers to unionize, and the, the, the workers just don't want it. And so the workers blame the businesses. And now they're going to have the government force everyone in the industry to join the union. That's basically what they're doing, right? Join our government union right. or we will kill you. Like, let's not forget right, that. Government they're, getting, they're, they're getting in between me and my employees and saying, we can't negotiate. We're not adults. We're, right. we're not free to exchange our labor and services with each other, right? right. Because guess what? I provide right. services for them too, right? This is a mutual benefit thing. This isn't me right. having them work and then they get no benefit, right? Or the other way around, right. me paying them to do nothing. That, that's not how this works. Right. And what you just said is wisely points out that this is two levels down. This isn't even just forcing everyone to unionize. It's not like the government says, we're going to pass a law that says if you're in this industry, you have to be in a union. 
And then they go, oh, yeah, and the union figures it out with the company. This is, you have to be in a union. Oh, and by the way, we run the union. So this is two levels of corruption down. But, William, it's not like the response to this is much better. No, it's not. So, first of all, uh, the owner, although, before I even get to that, they did, uh, did you notice subversively they pointed out what you said in the article where they were blaming on the franchisees rather than the franchisers? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that was a nice little bit of rhetoric they slid in there. But, yeah, the response here, uh, one example from Paul Brow, chief executive of Duncan and Arby's, owner Inspire Brands, he did an interview, said, obviously we think that it's problematic on many, many fronts. So this is a business owner using the word problematic. Right. Yeah, this is, this is what uh, he says. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say uh, thank you. Uh, 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 thank you, um Mr. Taggart, right? Like for defending the uh, businessman. Right. Because I think it's actually trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. So if it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist, it isn't problematic. It's a problem. Stop using the language of your enemy to try and beat your enemy. Yeah. I'm still fighting for 15 uh, for for us business owners. A guaranteed $15 (laughs) an hour wage. Still waiting for that. State Senator Shannon Grove, a Republican, said on the Senate floor that McDonald's representatives told her that if FAST Act becomes law, the company could stop expanding in California or leave altogether, which is what I would think would happen eventually. There just would be no fast food in California anymore. And then she said, could we really survive without the Golden Arches? Miss, She asked. That's what she said. Could we really survive without the Golden Arches? William, is this not the right conceding to the left in the same way you were talking about with the electric vehicles it's the same conceding of the moral argument because yeah she's right okay could you know could we survive without them yeah we probably could right but that's exactly what the left wants you to say because then what are they going to add to it we can and we should so all everyone is doing out there in california william the left and the supposed opposition to the left, and this is why the left keeps winning, is they're all playing into the same argument. They're all going down the same path. They're just not as extreme. They want you to say we can't survive without it. Then yeah. they're going to say, okay, we can start banning anything we say you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I think I think, I think. think the average tenure in the fast food industry is only a couple years. Um, I know that at any particular restaurant, the average is uh, lower than that. But there are, the, the average tenure is not that long in the fast food industry. And that's another thing that people... Uh, I, I, whenever someone gives me the, uh, the living wage argument, I always get very confused because I'm always like, well, what are you talking about? Like, who are these people that are just crew members, right? Just like, you know, just the check, the, you know, the checker or the... Or the whatever, like who are these people that are only staying in that job forever? Like what what is what is who are these people, right? Like if you're if you're talented and productive, I got a store that I want you to manage, right? Like I can't I I, I can't grow fast enough, right? Because I need I, right. I need to find good productive people, and that's all what I'm constantly looking for. And constantly right. encouraging, constantly, you know, trying to grow these folks that are excited about the brand and excited about uh, managing people and excited about uh, 
you know, making sandwiches and, 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 and giving good customer service and doing all the things uh, that we do in the community and stuff like that. When, when I find that talent, uh, there's no stopping us. Right. And what, who are these people that are demanding living wages that are just going to, you know, slice sandwiches all day. Right. And that's all they want to do. They don't want to do anything else. I don't, I don't understand why that deserves uh, what they're asking for. They're not earning, they're not earning it. What you're pointing out, William, is a step further back in the in the manipulation here, in the game here. It's a boogeyman. Those people are a boogeyman that are raised up as an excuse to regulate the industry. And honestly, get rid of it. Get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. That is what they are going for. This uh, when done when done right, these kinds of jobs, these are entry level jobs. And they're the perfect job for people to learn the basics of how to have a job, how to interact with people in a professional environment. And then if you're, if you are, if you can pass those two bars, you can get the bonus bar of learning how to be a supervisor, how to be a manager. And those skills transfer to any industry, any job, right? Would you, would you leave my employee? You don't leave with the ability to make a original Italian. You leave with an ability to manage people. Right. And what you're saying is sort of indicative or points to a broader issue with our culture right now, where I don't know about you, William, but I remember when we were young, people would get jobs at fast food or get jobs at retail. I mean, I worked at Walmart, right? And I became eventually a customer service manager where what did I do? I was supervising the front end, right? That was one of my first jobs. And kids used to get fast food jobs or kids used to work in the mall. I worked at Radio Shack. Yeah, I worked at Radio Shack. And, uh, you know, I I worked retail. And then uh, the next summer I worked a a different retail job and was supervising. And then after that, I started working in computer stuff and and little odds and ends jobs. But I took all that stuff I learned from working retail and applied it to that. I I worked in the cafeteria all through through, uh, college. uh, And I was a student supervisor. I was leading a staff of what was there, 40 uh, students, uh, at a, at a dinner, you know, this is all stuff that these are all skills that I still use. I still use those management skills. You know, I made all my, I made all of my most terrible management mistakes. Thank God back then in a, in a, in a safe, low risk environment, right. When I wasn't, you know, <laughs> deployed in a dangerous hostile area, uh, you know, not, not two years later. I love how you made management mistakes, but I had the same problems I've always had. There were certain people when I was managing at Walmart and setting up this, the, uh, the, the, the calendar, right? So I had to do the schedule, like based upon when people's shifts started and ended and what the legally mandated breaks were, I had to figure out when everything would happen, right? Right. Like when everyone would go on break. But Walmart, the way they made sure people were going in and out of break is there was a, device you swiped in the back and it logged when you swiped out so you couldn't swipe back in until you took the mandated break time and this is walmart's way of ensuring there were no as you were pointing out policy violations so they didn't get sued into oblivion right except in order to get from the front end where the uh, registers were you had to walk to that place in the back. So people figured out, and it was a certain type of person, and I won't say who, you can figure that out for yourself, figured out if 
you walk slowly to the back and it took you 10 minutes to walk to the back, you would get an extra 10 minutes of break because you would just say, oh, I was walking to the back and it won't let me swipe back in until the end. So all my schedules were getting screwed up by 10 minutes and I went to upper management and I said, look, I can't do my job if the, if people are going to act a certain way. And this is what's happening. And to the credit of the people who were working there at the time, they did say, like, are you going to stay here if we can fix the problem with these people? But, you know, these yeah. people being the people who were doing it, not a, a yeah, specific yeah. type of person. Right. Uh, so people figure out ways around that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, you had different problems than me back then. Me, it was still dealing with people's bullshit and thinking they're outsmarting me. <laughs> with you, you were actually making like legitimate mistakes. Me, I was just like, stop making it so I get mad at people and have to deal with this bullshit. Uh, um, I feel like I had something else to say about all of this, but I think we should just move on. What do you think? Yeah, I think we could we could go down this rabbit hole for too long. And I, something tells me we'll be talking about this in future episodes. Yeah, when you just move here. <laughs> All right, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, and I don't know if you guys are even allowed to go to movies still in California, but AMC has this ad that they play after all the fucking previews in every theater. And as people who listen to this show know, I go to the movies every week, although I I watched a movie on Hulu this week just because of the sake of time. But I go every week because we have the AMC A-list pass. So every time... We go to see a movie, we sit through the trailers, and then there's the Nicole Kidman ad that plays about how good AMC is and how good the movies are, right? Yes. So I have seen this, Justin. I've seen it, okay. I've seen this in the theater. I don't know why people like this. So maybe someone can explain it to me. I was People hoping you like could explain this? it to me after you just seen it because it it says here's it says America's favorite ad is getting a sequel favorite ad who dude, it was likes this the other day <laughs> I, I don't know because the other day I was in the theater and I had forgotten for some reason I don't know I was distracted or something and it came on and I groaned and started laughing and everyone else in the theater laughed with me because I laughed like I gave people permission to acknowledge how much they hated it. Justin, call me call me a, a member berry nostalgia bait person. I'd rather see the like the popcorn dance song, you know, the Coca Cola popcorn dance thing, than the you know Nicole what I would Kimmel rather commercial. see the movie I want to see. We can't have that. You have to uh, enjoy product first. So here's the thing, William. I get what they're going for. They're trying to like pump people up to go back to the movies, but I think part of what makes this ad bad is. For us, it's like pointing out the basics of romanticism. And what I mean by that is, here's a a um, sentence from the, uh, or a paragraph from the article. Prior to writing the iconic line, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this, the screenwriter was primarily known as an accomplished, I'm putting that in square quotes, Hollywood screenwriter, penning films like Flight Pen, The Hunger Games, Richard Jewell, and Captain Phillips, for which he received an Oscar nomination. Okay? Now, look, I enjoyed Richard Jewell, but that's because 
uh, Eastwood directed it, right? I've never seen Captain Phillips, but that's the one with the I'm the Captain Now meme, right? Yeah, yep, yep. So we know why that received an Oscar nomination. But, I mean, Flight Plan and Hunger Games, those aren't very well-written movies. And, well, come on, nominated line. and not received? Come on, you got to receive yeah. the award. Jesus. Speaking from someone who is nominated and has received the award. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, the quote, Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. William Pop Quiz, what word do I always say when analyzing movies that comes from Aristotle? is when heartbreak feels good? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Catharsis! Catharsis, oh, okay. <laughs> that's the point! Yeah. That is, somehow, that is heartbreak the... feels good in a place like this. It's not somehow! That is the purpose of art! Well, it's supposed hold on, to show Justin, you. Justin, the fact that they said somehow is like, is, is way more than, uh, than Hollywood even deserves at this point, because there's a deep irony in watching this and then you see which movies they choose to kind of like mimic in the commercial. And then imagine like most of the time, then the very next thing is going to be the most naturalistic bullshit you've ever seen in your life. Can you give an example? I mean, like if you go into a movie theater right now, like more than likely, oh, yeah, what, yeah. what what movie are you going to yeah. be watching? Is it going to be a romantic movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. that That is the irony of the, of the trailer, right? Because or the of the act, because it'll you know somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. No, it doesn't. Yeah. When you watch a naturalistic movie, it feels like shit. Or they say the heroes represent the best of us, right? No, they don't. That's the point of movies nowadays is that they don't. So yeah, it's ironic that this is like an ad that somehow celebrates some poor understanding of romanticism when that's not what's being made nowadays. But this completely shows that the people making movies and making these ads don't have the same perspective as the people distributing the movies. Do you get what I'm saying? Because this was written for a client, which is AMC. AMC is selling a different product than what is being given to them. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, AMC probably wants romantic movies, right? But I don't think they're going to be able to... Not, they can't make Hollywood give them give them that. Yeah. And look, there we could go into a whole lot here about, you know, wasn't it back in the day theaters used to be owned by the actual production companies? And then I'm sure like, yeah, there was did. some government involvement that made it so they couldn't both. Yeah, wasn't it? It was an anti-monopoly laws that made it so a production company couldn't both produce and distribute and when I say just, yeah, produce and distribute movies, right? That's why a lot of movies have one production company, one distribution company, and then the theaters are independent chains as well. Yeah. Like this, you know, which would get rid of a lot of this, right? Things would be more aligned with than they are now. But I mean, the key thing is nobody likes this ad yet. They're somehow making a sequel. And this ad represents the disconnect between the theaters and the audience and the production companies, this is pretty farcical, William. This is a competitor for farce of the year, is it not? Oh, I think so. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe this next one's a competitor for farce of the year as well. This is an insider article that I actually found. I think I found it on Reddit, but I just couldn't let this one go. It's so hilarious. TikTokers are telling viewers to point their genitals at the sun to, quote, increase your vibrations. 
expert warn experts warn against it. But quote, perineum sunning keeps going viral. Videos about perineum sunning to increase a person's vibrations are gaining millions of views on TikTok. But experts say there is no evidence that the practice has any benefits and could even be harmful. Perineum sunning is a controversial wellness practice where a person exposes their genitals to the sun for a short period of time. While naked, some lie on their back with their legs spread wide in the air or with their feet and hands on the ground in a variation of a yoga yoga downward dog pose. The idea is to expose the perineum area to vitamin D in order to receive an energy boost that they say can improve sleep, concentration, and creativity. So before I even go into the rest of this, first of all, the the number of mentions, we have two mentions in this short time to vibrations and yoga. If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. Also, isn't this just people not understanding the basics of science, right? The idea that you need vitamin D directly in the area that needs it, as if it doesn't, like, you have a goddamn circulatory system, people. Do you know how that works? (laughs) Well, okay, I will say, that there, like any any of these woo woo things, there might be a nugget of truth in here. Not the whole exposing your genitals thing, but getting sun on more of your body than just your like face and your arms, right, is probably a good thing. Now, I'm not talking about doing the uh, L.A. Uh, you know, the old uh, '90s or even '80s L.A. Uh, you know, bronze tan. Like, I'm not talking about that necessarily. But uh, but yeah, getting some. Good vitamin D is very, very healthy. We have lots of health benefits, but I don't know why you need to expose your taint in order to, uh, I, I don't know why your taint needs this sunlight. I, there's no, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine the evolution would require you to expose your taint, uh, in order to get vitamin D. This doesn't make any sense. Well, you're right. And there's one guy who advocates for this that they mentioned in the article that I want to point out. Oh, man. Because I think this guy sort of embodies what's wrong with this issue and how this issue is exemplary of our issues with social media. So I don't want to even say who this guy is, but he's a raw meat influencer and he received 8.5 million views on a video he posted about it where he showed himself and a woman lying on their backs with their legs in the air to expose the perineum to the sun. On on screen text read, think about it. Why would you not sun the most vital area of your body? The more you hide your body part from the sun, the weaker it will be. Who the fuck is this guy? Is he Kal-El? Like, the sun's radiation gives him superpowers? Like, what the fuck? So, this is what he said. See how your body reacts and proceed with caution. He said this to Insider. This is not medical advice, nor am I a doctor. Yeah, no shit. But I believe we will indeed start to see studies about perineal sunning come out in the next two to five years, and they will show its benefits. Long said that perineal sunning should be done in combination with an animal-based diet, which he said prevents him from burning in the sun. Here's the problem with social media. Wow. Is it lets people with crackpot theories gain popularity when they normally wouldn't otherwise. And what I mean by this is this person would have existed before and people in his town would have known who he was. Well, yeah, because they're going to see his asshole about noon every day. 
Right, and that's what they're going to say. Hey, the guy who puts his asshole out is out now. It's noon. Or there'll be jokes like, don't drive down, you know, Orange Street at noon. You're going to see that guy's asshole. You get what I'm saying? Yep. But instead, he goes online, and we get a trend called perineum sunning. William, though, to be Ooh. more serious. All right. Is this collateral damage that the internet brings us, that social media brings us? Because there are people who need to be, pun intended, exposed that otherwise wouldn't because they say some uncertain important truth or show what's going on in the world that people otherwise wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's I, I'm okay. I'm okay with this kind of insanity. This I this is this is quaint uh, internet insanity, right? Like it's so easily explainable, right? It's like yeah. It's not the fact that they're exposing their taint. It's the it's the fact that they're getting more vitamin D that there would be any benefit. Um, uh, and then, hey, if you if you can get a bunch of people to get naked with you in the sun every day, that means you're getting socialized. So there's some benefit there. You know, this is so easily explained <laughs> in other ways. Um, and you know, like I'm all for eating meat. Uh, I'd rather it be cooked. Uh, but I'd like a good uh, that's just one steak. Guy, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, you know, these are all things I can get behind, but, uh, you know, the putting your behind upright into the sun, I think I'll pass on that. Uh, the, the, <clears throat> the saying that you, if you don't, if you only eat meat that you won't burn is like just so easily provably false. Like that's just like not how you know, UV radiation works. Um, because guess what? If you didn't burn, then you would die of cancer immediately after. So, uh, that, that's, uh, because that's what's happening right there is your body is uh, is responding to all the cells that were damaged due to the UV light that you receive. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that's funny. It's uh, funny on many, many levels. But I, I, this is quaint. This is way better than uh, the Panchanazi or uh, or any of the other social justice memes that we've had, uh, viral things. So, the, 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 the cutting off of genitals uh, of 12-year-olds, all these things that, that are going on. The, the rampant cluster B personality that, that we're enabling, the toxic femininity we enable all over the place. This is way better than that. So I'm going to put you down under, this is collateral damage that we're just going to have to accept. <laughs> this is this is what I would rather have in, only instead of all the other crazy shit. I'd rather just have this crazy, please. This is the, this is 2000s crazy. Yeah, I get your argument. I just think the term perineum sunning is absolutely fucking hilarious. Yep. Show us your taint. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I won't. So uh, why don't we just move on, finish up Life on the Midside, and let's talk about uh, some art. I'm going to review the new Predator prequel in The Hope for Romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and within the episode there is a join code. There's a link with the join code that you can join the Discord. You can send us farce you would like us to talk about. You can send us uh, your responses to movie trailers that we may talk about during trailer takedown. We're looking forward to hearing 
from you. All right, William. I was not able to get to the movies this week, so I saw on Hulu a movie I've been waiting to see for a while, which is the prequel to the original Predator called Prey. I mean, William, the original Predator movie, what do you think of it? A great action movie. Just a popcorn flick. Great action movie. Right. But it's very well done for what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And I actually really like Predator 2 as well. I think it's a good way to take a similar concept and do it slightly different and have a unique sequel and add to the mythology. Do you have any thoughts on Predator 2? Yeah, I think I think it's uh it's it's kind of grown on me over the years. Um but then I think the sequels start to get a little fishy after that. Yeah, there hasn't really been like a great Predator sequel. Although I did like um the one on the um Predator planet where they kidnapped all the humans. I believe it was a Robert Rodriguez movie. I don't know if he directed it. I think it was called Predators. That one was pretty good. Uh, But, you know, all the Alien versus Predator stuff hasn't been as good. So Prey takes place in the early 1700s, and it revolves around a Native American girl. Here is my one-sentence review on Letterboxd. For much of Prey's runtime, the action happens to the protagonist and not because of her undermining the effectiveness of the anticipated and expected climax. You know, just like with the movie Beast, where you expected that's going to climax with Idris Elba fighting a lion, this one you expect is going to climax with the young girl fighting a predator, which, of course, it does. Um, I don't want to spoil exactly what happens in the finale. I'll just say this. As the movie was going... It's it's only 90 minutes long, right? And for the first hour, they made me want the Predator to win. Okay, well, I think, William, one of the best things about the original Predator is you don't want the Predator to win, mm-hmm. right? You like the soldiers who are fighting against them. You want them to win. You like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here, they're doing the typical thing where, oh, you know, they, they go with the Native America hunting, the Native American hunting culture, and they show her trying to hunt a deer. And then later on, they show that somebody had killed and skinned a buffalo and just left the buffalo there. And she felt sympathy for that death. And I guess it's because the buffalo wasn't fully used. Right? You know, it's the whole... Yeah. It's, the, it's the old... This is why I'm interested to see if you've heard anything because I don't pay attention to you know the conversation a lot. But it's the old myth of like Westerners, when we came, we, we wasted the parts that the, you know, the Indians used. Remember, yeah. that's yeah. what's been said yeah. about how we're the ones who are responsible for the buffalo extinction. But anyway, the point is, she's incompetent at hunting the entire movie. But she's trying to prove herself because everyone in her tribe says she can't hunt. They even tell her she should just stay behind and cook. So it's pretty derivative dialogue. And then the actress herself, I had to look her up. Because for most of the movie... The way she looks just naturally and the way they have her done up, she looks like a fucking Instagram influencer, dude. And I looked it up and she's mm. like a CW actress. Okay, so know, all that, that, that's a synonym. That's a synonym for Instagram influencer, right? 
Okay. Yes, it is. Maybe Instagram influencer with a little bit more talent is somebody who's on CW, a CW actress. But, like, if I want to believe someone is eventually going to fight a predator, she needs to look like who's somebody who can fight a predator. Am I wrong? Uh, you are wrong. How dare you? That's a uh, misogynist, uh, racist, and uh, some other, it's like, I'll think of later. Ableist. There we go. Well, now you're going you're going with where I want to, you know, I want to see what you've heard, because, you know, the reason the first movie worked is because it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. And you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you're like, well, that guy could fight a predator. Right. And he doesn't even survive. Right. Isn't the whole thing that, that he has to kill himself in order to kill the predator? Yeah. yeah. Or am I misremembering? Yeah, I think that's the basic thing. He's giving it up. He's giving he's he's taking him out. uh uh sort of outsmarting the predator by by uh sacrificing himself quote unquote right by putting it in a possible a possible situation right because in the first movie um they didn't know anything about the motivations of the predator he was just like if this guy gets loose he's going to kill the entire planet so he had to kill the predator and that was another thing about this movie like she was able to just like infer out of nothing that like Oh, he he's only looking to hunt people and he doesn't hunt the weak and everything. And there's a way this movie could have been done because there were a few scenes at the end that could have been done better. There were a few scenes at the end where, you know, they were trying to imply it's her intelligence. She can figure things out, but they didn't show that throughout the movie. They just showed things happening to her and her getting bailed out of situations. And I think it's more of the screenwriter's fault than the director, because I think the director did as well as he could. And I also do think it's a a bit of the actor's problems, too, because they were very clearly trying to cast based on, you know, race. It was was very, you know, we're going to have a bunch of Native American actors in this movie. And when you have that as your baseline requirement, you're going to limit the ability level, are you not, William? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's so it's this is my it's question. It's tough because okay, go ahead. I, I'll answer your question and I'll, I'll remember. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like, is the reason people liked this movie because of the social justice elements of it with women and the Native Americans? Because look, I'm all go- mm. I'm all for like I like this concept. I legitimately like like what if the predator came earlier than you know the 1900s, right? I think that's a cool premise. And I even like the idea of Native Americans fighting against the Predator. But the way it was executed just wasn't executed well. And I think it's partially because it's tinted by social justice culture. Yeah, I think, Justin, what what movie you wanted to see and what the writer wrote is just, just diametrically opposite. What the writer wrote and what he intended to write, clearly, was a female power fantasy where uh, due to girl power, uh, a girl, uh, a Native American girl can uh, uh, fight the patriarchy and the predator at the same time and win. And that, that's the movie, right? Just from what you described and what I've seen other people talking about, that's what it is. And it doesn't, and then all this, all this other, like, whatever you want to call it, neoclassicism uh, of like, you have to have certain tropes 
uh, all those tropes need to be there, right? You need to have all a Native American cast, right? Regardless of the people's acting abilities and who looks the part and who can actually, you know, seem like an imposing physical figure or not. None of that stuff matters, right? Um, it's just all about representation and the message, right? It must have the message in it, and that's all. And it's, I don't know, it's like, it, the, the setting is just a cheap prop in this case. And even I think the characters are just a cheap uh, prop. And, and the property is just a, a thing which to milk in order to get the message out. I, I, I'm, just, right. I'm just super cynical about this movie. That's why I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think everything you're saying is pretty spot on. I mean, that was one of the things I noticed about the dialogue, you know, when I pointed out the part where they were like, oh, just stay behind and cook, is there's no characterization in this movie. Everyone's just saying what they're supposed to say. I mean, right. they even at a certain point say if it bleeds, you know, somebody says if it bleeds, we can kill it, which is like, it's a predator movie, better say the line. Yeah. Yeah. So... Look, it's uh, that said, it's still a Predator movie. Like, unfortunately, the problem we're having nowadays, William, is the trapping of some of these franchises are so good. The trappings are so good that it's hard to get away from any quality. Do you get what I'm saying? And the yeah. last half hour of this movie is legitimately enjoyable. You know why? Because she fights the Predator. And, like, that's cool. It's like your whole guns and... What, what do you say? Guns and violence? I, I want guns and explosions. That's what I want in my action movies. Right. Yep. Guns and explosions. It's like your whole guns and explosions thing. They're figuring out, people are figuring out how to make that work together with the social justice stuff, but it's still guns and explosions. We're here, right. you know, it's still pretty cool. And they do hit some cool beats. Like it was set in the early 1700s. So I was like, well, I wonder if it's only going to be Native Americans or you're going to get, you know, settlers involved. And they did get settlers involved. So it's like they took what you should do and they figured out a way to make that work in a, the worst way possible. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, look, it's, I don't want to act like it's bashing you over the head with the social justice stuff. It's kind of an assumption, which is almost the scariest part about it. Do you get what I mean? That it's almost an assumption. Like yeah. there are some movies you watch and they bash you over the head with it and you can tell. It's supposed to be that way. But this is just like, oh, yeah, if we're going to write a woman about a Native American uh, or we're going to write a movie about a Native American woman fighting a uh, a predator and it's set in the early 1700s. Well, obviously, everyone's going to be a dick to her and think less of her and think she should only cook and not be a warrior. There were no exceptions back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows how much we've created very shallow, uncreative thinking. Look, but again, it's not the worst movie ever. I'm not going to give this like a, you know, what's the lowest rating? I just know. This is just like a no, bro. Like, you can do better. But if you want to see yeah. all the Predator movies, I'm not going to be like, you're going to hate this. It's just I was bored for most of the first hour and didn't want to finish. I actually got up and went and got food and came back. And then, you know, as I was eating, I was it made it a little more palatable. And then the last half hour was cool. So. All right. Well, those are the movies that have come out. We're going to talk about some movies now that are going to come out in Trailer Takedown. I put these trailers in the Discord on the Saturday before shows. That gives you an opportunity if you would like to comment, and we read the comments on the episode. Or maybe you you know, you know, watch the trailers, we talk about it. You watch the trailers, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. The Infernal Machine 
is about an author who is receiving mysterious letters about a book that inspired a serial killer and was thus subsequently taken off the market. Uh, the author is trying to investigate and figure out who this person is that's writing the letters. Uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this trailer. It's it's a unique story that you don't really hear about, but it, it sort of hits that trope that we're seeing a lot of, you know, with serial killers and how ideas affect people and the way the mind happens. And, and the directing here was pretty good. And I found myself... Not anticipating this trailer, but when I watched this trailer, anticipating this movie and being excited for it. So this is an unexpected hug. Hug. Yeah, I was. Uh, I too was skeptical, and uh, and I kind of enjoyed it. It, 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 it. Part of it might be a little over the top in the second half of the trailer, so uh, I'm still a little hesitant. But uh, this is definitely falls in the category of Netflix and hug for me. Netflix and hug. William, I like that it was... Whoa. You know what's coming next. Yeah, I know what's coming next, and you did it on purpose. I did not. I'm so delayed, and I tried to anticipate it. And I'm doing a terrible job. Stupid Austria and being so far away from you. Austria is Way to step on it, Justin. There it is. There it is. But I was going to say, I like that it goes over the top. I like this yeah. idea that at the end, the, the, he's talking to the serial killer. I didn't want to spoil it, but whatever. That he's talking to the serial killer, and the serial killer is like, there's a hidden message in the book. And I like the idea that, like, did he, like, are we, is there going to be a twist here where we find out the author wrote the hidden message, and he's actually some, like, mastermind villain at the end? Or, like, was he being used and somebody used him to put a secret message in there? Did somebody yeah. put a secret message in his book that he didn't know after he wrote it? Like, there's so many directions you could go here that it piques my imagination to see, can they actually capitalize on it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Second trailer. The Visitor is a Bloomhouse horror movie. In it, a, I think they're married. They're a young couple. They go and they live in a small town where this guy starts by seeing a painting of himself in the house and his wife slash significant other is like, it just looks like you. And he's like, it doesn't look like me. It, it is me. And then when he goes around town, people seem to be acting very strange to him and they act like he's familiar to the point that at the end of the trailer, an old woman is like, welcome home. I have two things to say about this trailer. One, uh, it's kind of annoying that we have this thing in Hollywood and it sort of reminds me of Hollywood in the 80s and 90s convincing everyone that jocks were dumb and evil, right? That anyone who played a sport and everyone who played varsity sp football was dumb and evil. It's the same thing with small towns. Like, why is it this dude moves to a small town and everyone in the small town is fucking evil and creepy? Like... Can't people in small towns just be people in small towns? Like, why is that such like a, oh, it's a, we need to set a horror movie somewhere. It's a small town. I guess it's the idea that it's away from everyone and it's not connected. But again, we're in the year 2022 where even people in small towns are connected everywhere. But do they not have internet and cell phone in small towns? The second thing, though, is I do like the core mystery of it seems like this guy was brought back here 
right? I saw, I, I got a little bit of a vibe of Get Out where the main character of Get Out was manipulated, you know, a, a honeypot relationship to get to the the family that's going to, you know, take his brain out. Oh, it's the same thing here. I, I kind of get a honeypot vibe that she manipulated him to come here. So I kind of like the underlying mystery. So for me, because of this sort of mixed emotion, this is, as William just said for the last trailer, a vintage Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, I... I don't know. I, I, I like you. The core mystery was interesting, but I just wasn't very turned on by... I, 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 I could put my finger on it. Some of it was maybe a little bit of the visuals and the acting, but maybe that's just the this genre and i'm just not used to you know i'm not a huge horror fan it just didn't kind of pique my interest so i think i I have a very similar view from you but it just tilted slightly different direction it's a very very light tackle tackle third trailer pig killer is a movie about a canadian serial killer starring jake Busey as the serial killer this however was not a trailer this was just random scenes, many of which that look low budget, cut together and having a vaguely similar aesthetic. Tackle. Tackle. This was slasher preview porn from a B-movie drive-in. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Slayers stars Thomas Jane and Abigail Breslin. In it, a group of social media influencers is manipulated into putting themselves at risk to a vampire coven. And Thomas Jane is attempting to save them as the Slayer. Uh, I'm assuming the other people, or at least Abigail Breslin, based on the... Uh, thumbnail is going to also become a slayer. This William gave me Zombieland for vampire vibes, and I don't really mm. need to say much else about that. Hug. Hug. Yeah, I was. If anything, I, I get that. I also got a little nostalgic for some uh, some Buffy episodes too. So uh, I guess that's enough to to give it a very light hug. Hug. That brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip, William? I learned that the government is going to make it illegal for us to have and use uh, electricity or fast food. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that you need more drops because they're all backwards. All right, I want to thank... Yeah, that's an example (laughs) of a backwards drop, (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Forever purge. <laughs> but you know whose fault it is. Chandler, it's all your fault. I blame him too. But I want to thank I want to thank Chandler and everyone else for listening. Without you, this would just be me talking to the corner of my closet like a crazy person. Still is this. I just feel a little bit less crazy. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store or the midside.com slash Patreon and the midside.com slash locals. Or you can buy my book at themidside.com slash the cut. Uh, I was just reading a statistic about how few copies of even published, uh, traditionally published novels are solved 
or solved, sold. And uh, I actually outsold that. Some of them don't even sell a dozen copies, which is crazy to me. So that shows you, I don't know how either the industry is dying or it's a how You've sold at least two dozen copies. I've seen them in your house. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Hey, uh, that was uncalled for. You know what? I'm done. Tell a friend about the show. (laughs) This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emmonsesky reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a wiener schnitzel day. You know, Justin, I was in Bratislava today, and uh, I didn't—I didn't realize your book. You had—you've—you've you've got a restaurant deal. There's a restaurant out there called The Cut. Yeah, how many of you traditionally pro- published no- novelists have that? That's right. I'm—I was delicious too. Uh, so go go visit. Uh, go to everyone, midsiders. Go to Bratislava and uh, take a picture of your The Cut novel at the Cut restaurant. Did you order the Whedon schnitzel? <laughs> uh, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, you know what? One other thing. Uh, actually, bonus tag. Uh, I do have one that's uh, one um, a drop that is not backwards. Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. <laughs> so that one's, that one's not backwards. <laughs>